Thank you, Pastor Dave and Sarah, for that ministry in music. Last week, we considered uh, narratives in the book of John that were unique to John. This morning, we focus on a portion of scripture that is found in all of the gospel narratives. That is Joseph requesting the body of Jesus for burial. Now, there are elements that are found in some of the Gospels that are not found in others, but uh, the basic story is found in all four Gospels. If you will remember, the overall purpose of the book of John is to lead us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 20, verse 31 reads, But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. So the overall purpose of the book of John is to record incidents, sayings, circumstances that will lead us to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In keeping with that overall purpose of the book of John, The passage that is before us today uses Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled to help us in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 19, verse 35. John 19, 35. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Now here is a subset of the overall purpose to to, uh, promote faith in us and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way in which this section does is through fulfilled prophecy. Notice verse (coughs) 36. Excuse me, notice verse 36. For these things came to pass... That the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. Verse 37. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. So the fulfillment of prophecy is a call for us to put faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a third fulfillment of prophecy that's found in John chapter 19. That is not uh, mentioned specifically as a fulfillment of prophecy, but is. The fulfillment of prophecy is a good reason to put place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is essential to understand the Old Testament prophecies are unique. They are not the mere generalities or conjecture. Rather, they provide clear references to future events and circumstances. They are not at all like the predictions made by fortune tellers or found in uh, fortune cookies. There is something unique about the prophecies of the Word of God. And this morning, I want us to focus on one specific prophecy and its fulfillment in this particular portion of the Word of God. It is my favorite, if you will, of all the prophecies for 
I find it to be truly outstanding. And it is the prophecy that we used as our call to worship that's found in Isaiah 53, verse 9. Uh, you may want to turn there, keep your finger here. But Isaiah 53, 9 says this. His grave, that is Jesus' grave, was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. We want to unpack that prophecy this morning about its remarkable fulfillment and see that it is remarkable for a number of reasons. First, it is remarkable due to the change that takes place in Joseph. Keep your finger here and turn back to John 19, if you would, verse 38. 19.38. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took away his body. What I want to note from this text in verse 38 is, first of all, that prior to the crucifixion, Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus. That was verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. He was a follower of Jesus. And if you notice the tense of the verb, it isn't that he became a follower, but that he already was. Here is someone who was a follower of Jesus, but a secret one. No one knew that he was a follower of Jesus. He was not willing to identify with Jesus in a public fashion. For we are told in the text the reason why he is a secret one, verse 38, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. Why? For fear of the Jews. For fear of the Jews. There is a striking turning of events. After the crucifixion, this timid, frightened disciple musters up Huge amounts of courage to ask Pilate for Jesus' body. Listen to the words of Mark 15, 43. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He gathered up courage. It took all that he could to go and ask Pilate for this body. Now, why did it take such courage on his part? Well, let's think about what we know about Joseph of Arimathea. Mark 15, 43 says that he was a member of the council. The council being the Sanhedrin. The council being that very group, that body of Jewish leaders who had sentenced Jesus to death. He was a member of of that council. And not only does the text in Mark say that he was a member of that council, but it says that he was a prominent 
member, a well-known member, an influential member, a leading contributor, a voice that was followed, a voice that was heard, even as we think of our own senators. And we realize that there are junior senators and senior senators. We realize that there are those that, that have a greater weight, even though they all have the same vote. There are senators that tend to be listened to more than others. He was one of the prominent members of the council. And yet, Joseph had done nothing to try to stop the crucifixion of Jesus. Think about that. Think of having to live with that on your conscience. He was a believer in Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. But secretly. He didn't want anybody to know it. And so there had to be a striking change in his demeanor, in his outlook to be willing now to go to Pilate and request that body of Jesus. Not only was there a change in Joseph's life, but in Nicodemus's as well. Look at verse 39. And Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds of weight. It is referring to that incident back in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. Nicodemus was a follower of Jesus, but in secret. And these two secret disciples decide to out themselves. They decide to make it public. They decide to identify with Jesus. And they come and they request the body from Pilate. So there's a remarkable change in the lives of Joseph and Nicodemus. Secondly, there's a remarkable change that takes place in Pilate's life in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Pilate, if you remember, had condemned Jesus to death. John 19, starting at verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought out Jesus and sat him down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They therefore cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they then delivered him to them to be crucified. The reason that Pilate had given the body over to the Jewish people was because he was afraid of them. He sought to release Jesus. He made efforts. But they said to him, If you refuse this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposed Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out to be condemned. 
Now there had to be a turn of events in the life of Pilate. For in order to give them this body, he had to violate Roman law. He had to go against what the law required. Which brings us to the third point. This is remarkable prophecy because Jesus was indeed assigned to be with the wicked in his death. That's what Isaiah 53 verse 9 says. Though assigned with the wicked in his death. Jesus was condemned for his blasphemy, as far as the Jewish people were concerned. As far as the Jews were concerned, the reason they wanted to see Jesus dead was because of his blasphemy. John 19.7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Jewish people would sometimes hang a corpse on a tree to display it as a way of disgracing it, as a a way of humiliating the individual. And so, in the book of Deuteronomy, anyone who hangs in that fashion is accursed, is accursed. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that it was important that such an individual would be disgraced and dishonored in his quote-unquote burial. So the Jewish people would not have wanted to see Jesus honored. But the second element here that is quite striking is if you notice in verse 38, it says that they asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate granted permission. Because ultimately, Pilate is the one responsible. And Pilate was the one that had Jesus crucified. And what happened after a person was crucified is that they would not receive a proper burial. They would be placed in a common, open grave that was for criminals. By Roman law, he should have been buried with the other two thieves. It would have been a public place, an open grave in which the body would just be allowed to rot or birds come and peck at it. It would be a place of disgrace. He was assigned to that place. By being put on the cross, it would be the natural outcome that when he would die, he would go there. But Joseph and Nicodemus come to Pilate and say, can we have the body? And Pilate actually violates Roman law and says, yes, you may. You can take him and uh, have him buried. And so they took away the body. That's remarkable. Because Pilate, prior 
to the crucifixion, is not willing to stand up and do what he knows to be right. But following the crucifixion, he's willing even to violate Roman law in order for this to come to pass. The remarkable fulfillment of Jesus being associated with the rich is, is, is this. Look at John 19.41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new tomb in which no one was laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was empty, they laid Jesus there. If you uh, would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. I want to look at what else the scripture has to say about this tomb. Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 57. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. The man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given over to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it and cleaned it in cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. This new tomb was Joseph's tomb. It was the place that Joseph had prepared for his own eventual burial. It was Joseph's burial plot, if you were, will, that Jesus was buried in. What do we know about Joseph? Uh, Joseph? Look at verse 27, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Now, if you would, one more time, back to Isaiah 53, verse 9. Isaiah 53, verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. That's the fulfillment. He was assigned to be with wicked men. But, conversely, yet, on the other hand, he was a rich man in his death. This rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, identified with Jesus in his death and placed him in his own tomb. Now notice, lastly, that this prophecy is remarkable because of its significance. Look at the end of verse 9 of 53. Because the reason that this was done, why was he assigned a grave with the rich, uh, excuse me, with the wicked, and yet was with the rich man? Verse 9, because he had done no violence, Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. There is more in this prophecy than merely the prediction of future events. There is a substantiation of all that has taken place up to this point. 
There were pragmatic reasons why Jesus was placed in this tomb. But the Word of God focuses upon the vindication of Jesus. He himself was truly an innocent man. Verse 9 of Isaiah 53, He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus had committed no crime worthy of death. No violence. Jesus was innocent in the eyes of Pilate. Three times, Pilate had said prior to the crucifixion, prior to giving Jesus over, three times, Pilate said, I find no guilt in him, verse 38. John 19.4, I find no guilt in him. John 19.6, I find no guilt in him. Jesus was innocent in Pilate's eyes. And because of Jesus' innocence, Pilate was predisposed to somehow make a statement about Jesus' innocence. And here came the opportunity. When they wanted the body of Jesus, why was Pilate willing to violate the Roman law and give them this body? He was trying to make amends for his own conscience. He was trying somehow to make up for what he knew that he did was wrong. And when they came and asked for that body, they didn't have to plead. He jumped at it. Here's my opportunity. Somehow, somehow to honor this man. Joseph. Joseph. Why did Joseph garner up the the courage? Why was he willing all of a sudden to identify with Jesus Christ when before he was afraid of the Jews, when the Jews are going to be upset about how Jesus is going to be buried. Because Joseph knows that Jesus is an innocent man. And he had done nothing. Though he was a member of the Sanhedrin, though he was a prominent member, though he's a person of influence, he did not come to Jesus' aid at all. And he trying to make amends for his conscience. Goes to Pilate with a desire at least to give Jesus a proper burial. At least to honor Jesus in his death. Both Pilate and Joseph knew that there was an innocent man that was not worthy of death. And they wanted to honor him in his death. But more than the vindication of Pilate and more than the vindication of Joseph is the vindication of God. Because in Isaiah 53 it says that Jesus was despised and rejected of man. And he was viewed as one who was despised and rejected of God. Listen to the words following Isaiah 53, verse 9. 
But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offering, he will prolong his days, the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Jesus bore the consequences of our sin on the cross. The consequences of our sin, which is death, which is disgrace, shame, reproach, separation from God. Jesus bore all that on the cross. And when he died, it was finished. It was complete. Jesus had borne our sin. Now there's going to become vindication. The greatest vindication to demonstrate that God is satisfied with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be his resurrection. He was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we would know that God the Father is satisfied. But even before the resurrection, remember the words of Jesus to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why was Jesus placed in this tomb of the rich man? Because God was satisfied. Because God's justice had been met. For there was no further guilt or disgrace to be borne by Jesus Christ. He was placed in this tomb because he was innocent. That's what Isaiah 53 verse 9 says. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Vindication by Pilate. Vindication by Joseph and vindication by God himself. So, conclusion. This is a, a remarkable prophecy in the word of God. These prophecies ought to increase our confidence in who Jesus is. Isaiah 53 is an incredible passage in the word of God, as it clearly depicts the crucifixion of Jesus Hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually took place. We're to see how God sovereignly rules over the activities of mankind. We're to see how God's purposes were accomplished in the decisions of mankind. We're to see how God's wrath was meted out on the cross and satisfied in Jesus' death. We're to see that God the Father is satisfied in the death of Jesus. John says, these things are written that you might believe. That you might believe. I hope this morning that your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the one who was innocent, who died in our place to take upon himself our death, our shame, our disgrace, our separation from God. 
and one way that we're to have faith. One way that we're to believe that indeed the death of Christ satisfied God the Father is in the burial of Jesus. Though assigned a place with the wicked, he was put in a place of honor in the tomb of a rich man. We're going to see next week that there's more to it than that. It was important that he be in this tomb so that we would know that the tomb was empty. There are so many pragmatic aspects to this particular prophecy. But the most significant is it was a way to demonstrate that God the Father was satisfied in the death of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would help us to have faith in the Lord Jesus. May we understand that it is through his death that you are satisfied. That there is nothing that we need to add to that except to believe, to receive, to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord. Thanking you that he died in our place. O Lord, create and instill with us faith. And nurture that faith. Develop that faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.